Well, it's so good to see all of you. And hey, do me a favor while we're welcoming people. Can you just do me a favor and give those watching us right now live a round of applause and welcome them to our worship experience today. So thankful that you're here and a part of what God is doing at Rethink Life. And uh, so if you're out of town, I'm just grateful that you chose to make this moment a priority for you to connect with us in worship. But uh, man, I'm just excited for what God has in store for this specific service and um, what he wants to say to each of us. But before I dive into today's uh, message, I just want to real quick just uh, let my heart uh, just be open and transparent with you, just to let you know how grateful I am for those of you who have expressed uh, so many just warm and heartfelt uh, wishes and prayers and and uh, just words of support and encouragement to me, to our family, uh, due to the passing of my mom. We had an amazing homegoing celebration of her life uh, last Friday, and uh, it was truly an amazing time as we just reflected and just uh, were encouraged and inspired by her life and her legacy. And so today, I just want you to know how much that meant to me and to my family, and uh, we're so forever grateful. It's awesome to know that as a spiritual family, we have one another. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ to get through the most difficult times in our lives. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Well, we're in a series that we are uh, calling The Family Shift. And you may be uh, new with us today and you think, well, <laughs> why do we need to make a shift? Well, the reason why it's so important that we make the family shift is because if, if we don't shift, then we're going to drift. And unfortunately for too many people, and especially in this day and age, there's a lot of families and a lot of young people, a lot of people just obviously in general, who are moving towards the pleasures of this world and they're drifting further and further away from God. And that's the reason why we need to make the shift to avoid the drift. Because at the end of the day, every family ends up somewhere, but few families end up somewhere on purpose. How many of you like putting puzzles together? Let me see your hands. You like putting puzzles together? All right, well, if you like uh, to put uh, puzzle pieces together, that simply means you got a lot of patience because I'm not a patient guy. I mean, I don't have time. I get frustrated. I give up too easily, and I just don't have the time or the patience to hang in there, especially when you got like hundreds and hundreds of puzzle pieces to you know, obviously try to put in place. But you know, when you think about a, a puzzle, you know what the single most important uh, part of the puzzle is? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about it. The, the single most important part of a puzzle is not even the puzzle pieces. It's the box top. I mean, think about it. If you don't have a box top, if you don't have a picture of what it is you're actually putting together, you are up a creek because you have no idea what it is you're even attempting to put together. And I think that's what happens for a lot of people, specifically families. A lot of families are trying to put the pieces of their lives and their marriage and their family relationships together, and unfortunately, they don't even have a clear picture of what it is they're even attempting to put together. Therefore, they're taking puzzle pieces and they're trying to fit them and cram them into specific places that don't even fit together. And for some families, they have these gapping, or these gaping holes, I should say, in the middle of their puzzle because they don't even know where to find the pieces. They don't even know how it's supposed to work. And as a result, they get frustrated, they get overwhelmed, they get defeated. And unfortunately for a lot of families, and specifically marriages and family relationships, they end up giving up simply because they never had a clear picture of what 
they were trying to build. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to learn specifically how we can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Because God has a plan. He has a very clear picture. He has a very specific purpose for your life and for mine, for your family, for your marriage, for your relationships. And what we have to understand is that not only does God have a plan and a vision for your life and for mine, but we've got to have the tools. We've got to have the, the essentials, if you will, that serve as the borders. Because you ever thought about it when you go to put a puzzle together, what, a, a person who, who knows their stuff and they actually know what they're doing, and they have a plan, they have a strategy, most serious puzzle uh, players, you know what they like to do? They like to start with the borders. The reason why is because that serves as the framework. And that's really what this series is, is trying to accomplish. We're identifying five specific essentials that are designed to serve as a framework so that you know how to put the pieces of your family together. You have a very clear, distinct picture of what could be and what should be. Because again, every family ends up somewhere, but few families end up somewhere on purpose. And so that's the reason why during week one, we talked about you have to start with the end in mind because that's the vision. That's, that, that's, that's basically where we're going. We talked about the importance of establishing a mission and a vision statement. What does the mission do? It answers the question of why we exist as a family. What is our purpose? We talked about the importance of articulating our vision. What does the vision accomplish? The vision is that clear picture. It gives direction as it relates to where we're going in our family, where we're going in our marriage, where we're going with the, with the future aspirations and hopes and desires that we have as a family. You know, one of the other things we talked about during week two was we, talk, we talked about the importance of holding to core values. What are those core values? Those core values are those, those, those really they're the non, non-negotiables. Those are the those are the, the important pieces, if you will, that we hold on to that kind of serves as the border, the framework, the guardrails, and the guidelines that help us make wise choices so that we can move toward the vision and fulfill the, the mission that God has placed in front of us. And then last week, we talked about some of the individual puzzle pieces themselves to help people find their fit rather than just trying to put a square peg in a round hole rather than just trying to cram pieces that really are shaped differently and don't really fit together we talked about the importance of understanding your family gps and what does that mean that simply means we got to discover our gifts we got to identify our passions and ultimately we got to also use the struggles that god allows us to go through because once again god can even fulfill our greater purpose by using the pain of our past and so even though we go through struggles god will use those struggles and work all of those things together for his greater good so with all that said god never wastes a hurt there is purpose in our pain he has a plan and he has a vision for your life and for mine and for your family and the question is What are we going to do to start moving in the direction that God has for our lives? So with that said, today is week four. And I think if there is one puzzle piece that literally has the ability to make or break our destiny, it's this one. And it's ultimately identifying or finding, if you will, what I call life-giving friendships. I don't think there's anything that causes people to drift 
away from God and towards the things of this world quicker than the wrong friends. And so in order to avoid the drift, we have to make the shift in our friendships and the people that we choose to associate with. And so if you're anything like me, I think sometimes, you know, you wonder, well, I don't even know what those people look like. Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friends. How many of you have an unreliable friend? <laughs> you know who they are. You don't have to say their names. Their, their, their face just instantly popped into your head. That coworker, that person you're sitting next to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all know who they are. We all know those unreliable friends. We've all been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and watched that movie. But here's the thing. The Bible says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to what? Run. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And today what we're going to do for a few moments is we're going to help everybody, specifically our families, understand how to even identify that friend, that friend, the one that says, God says we'll stick closer than a brother. Michelle called me the other night and um, she said, I need you to come to the grocery store. And I'm thinking, why do I need to come to the grocery store? You're already there. She said, my car won't start. So I jumped in my car, raced to the, uh, to the grocery store, and uh, thankfully, a good Samaritan from our church was there and was there to kind of stand with Michelle um, because it was, it was actually late, it was dark, and so she was there when very many people in the parking lot. And so, um, so he was standing there with her, and so when I got there, I pulled out of my car the jumper cables, and so we, we popped open, uh, pop, popped the hood open on my car, of course popped the, the hood open on Michelle's car, and I took the jumper cables, and suddenly what, what I began to do is I began to take the, I began to take the, 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 the black, the negative here, and I began to put it on the, the red. And the, and the guy who was standing there goes, no, 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 don't, don't do that, don't, 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 don't do that. He freaked me out. I'm like, what, what's the problem? He said, you don't put a negative onto the positive. I said, why? He said, you're in your car. I thought, wow. Nobody told me that. <laughs> I think what happens, a lot of people, unfortunately, allow the negative to be put on the positive when it comes to the positive things that God wants to accomplish in and through a person's life and yet a negative will come along and will ruin our lives, will ruin a marriage, will ruin family relationships. And so the question we have to ask are the people, the friendships, those whom we associate with, are they a plus or are they a minus in our lives? Because at the end of the day, the people that we choose to associate with, they are either pulling us up or they are pulling us down. And so today, I think it's so vitally important as a family, if we're going to move towards the mission and the vision that God has called us toward, and we're actually going to hold tight to those core values that, that really are serving as those guardrails and guidelines for our lives to keep us on track, to keep us moving in the right direction, 
and to avoid the drift from the specific passions and the dreams and the gifts that God's placed in our hearts, hey, we've got to make sure that the people that we choose to associate with are moving in the same direction as we are. Their goals, their dreams, their values, their passion are the same as ours when it comes to their marriage and their family relationships and the friendships that they choose. And so with that said, here are some things that I really think we need to understand because it, you've heard me say this before, but at the end of the day, show me your friends and I will show you your what? Your future. Show me your friends. Show me your son or your daughter's friends and I will show you as a mom and a dad their future. Show me your friends as a husband and wife. The couples that you associate with, I'll show you your future. I know that's pretty strong, but at the end of the day, we are either going to drift away from the things of God and towards the things of this world because of the negative pull that those negative people are bringing, bringing upon us, or we're going to make the shift and shift back toward God and the things of God. And so here's what you need to understand when it comes to what God desires for our lives relationally. Number one is he wants us to have friendships and relationships with others. So listen, God is not anti-friendship and relationships. As a matter of fact, what did God say in the very beginning of creation in the book of Genesis? It says God even made the statement, hey, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. So God wants us to have friendship. He wants us to have relationships with people. Number two, he wants us to have friendship and relationship with him. I mean, that's why he placed us on this earth. We were not made for ourselves. No, God created us and made us so that we could have a relationship and a friendship ultimately with him. We were made by God and for God. And until we get that, life will never, ever make sense to us. And so what we got to understand is that the Bible says it like this. I love James 2, verse 23. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then I love this next phrase. He was even called the friend of God. You know what? We ought to make a commitment in our hearts that not only do we personally, individually, want to be a friend with God, but the people that we choose to associate with, they too have a desire to be a friend of God. Of God. And so those are the two most important things that I think are, are critical for us to understand when it comes to associating with the right kinds of friends. Now, let's break it down for a little bit more because what specifically, um, when you think about friendships and relationships, you know, what, what do you think of? Well, there, there are really three categories of friends. The first is what I often refer to as, as surface friendships. Um, surface friendships, we all have these. Um, you know, you're kind of walking, you're going to the grocery store. And somebody will say your name and they'll say hi to you. And you're like, you're firing blanks. You cannot put a face and a name together. And so you kind of do the, hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, good to see you. And then, you know, the classic, you know, escape go to, hey, buddy, how you doing? What was buddy's name? I can't remember his name. And so what happens is, is those are surface friendships, relationships. We all have those in our lives. People that we know, a 
they're an acquaintance, but we, can't, we have a hard time often putting faces and names together. Number two, we have structured friendships. And of course, those structured friendships basically means that there is a reason why we even get together. And I see this a lot, obviously, with young families. Um, you know, it could be the, the Little League ball team, could be the, the cheer team, could be the band you know, it could be whatever club or sport or hobby or interest, you know, that kind of rallies people together. There's a, there's a reason, you know, there is a, you know, there's that, that commonality that brings people together. And through that commonality come friendships. And there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes those friendships that maybe you share something in common with may not necessarily be life-giving friendships that we're talking about. And the third category is what I refer to as secure friendships. And the secure friendships are those life-giving friends. That's the person that I'm referring to that will stick closer than a brother. That is a person whom is for you and they're with you and they share the same vision and mission and values and they're supporting your life in every way. Now, for some of you, I think as you do a little friend inventory and you process who is on your list, who are your friends, who are your homies, who's in your squad, who are you running with? Because think about it. They're either a minus or they're a plus. They're a positive or they're a negative. And sadly and unfortunately what happens is that a lot of people that we get introduced to that we may have something in common with potentially could be unhealthy. They could be very toxic. And what happens if we're not rooted and planted in the right kind of soil, in the right atmosphere and environment, then all of a sudden those toxic, unhealthy people latch on. They become a negative and suddenly they, they cause us to begin to drift. We begin to make the drift further from God and towards the things of this world. And all of a sudden we get tangled up in these unhealthy, toxic relationships. And the end result is everybody gets hurt. And guess what? Hurting people hurt people. And so we got to be very, very careful when it comes to the atmosphere, the soil, and those that we associate with so that these people are life-giving. These are the people that are going to help you. Why? Because healthy things grow. And if you're going to grow and you're going to flourish and you're going to blossom in your marriage and in your family relationships... If you're going to reach that desired destination, that mission and vision is going to become a reality, then we've got to choose people that's going to help us get there. And so today, here's what I want you to understand as a key thought. Write this down if you're taking notes. You attract who you are. You attract who you are. I'm, I promise you. If you have a heart for God... If your marriage is on fire, I'm talking about a husband and a wife who are passionately pursuing their relationship, their friendship with God and with each other. And they have 
They have established a very crystal clear mission and vision for their life, for their marriage, for their future, for their home, their relationships. They have identified some core values that they are holding on to that serve as non-negotiables. They're the border of the puzzle. They're the guardrails and the guidelines. They serve as the boundaries. Here's what you need to understand. Those people who are moving in that direction, guess what? They're going to attract other people just like them. Because like attracts like. Birds of a feather flock what? Together. So godly people are going to be attracted to other godly people. Why? Because they're moving in the same direction. But I'm going to take it a step further. I'm convinced that lost people spiritually, people who are disconnected from God, people that don't even go to church, people that may not even believe are also attracted to godly people, spiritually minded people, people who are walking the walk beyond the talk. No, they're walking the walk. Their marriage reflects that. Their kids reflect that. Their decisions make that. The way they live, the way they behave, the way they talk, everything about their life suddenly becomes attractive to the people of the outside world. Why? Because the outside world is looking at that marriage. They're looking at that family. They're looking at those relationships and they're thinking, how in the world can I get what those people have? And so what we have to understand is that we attract who we are. Now, what does the Bible tell us and teach us on what specifically we're to actually look for in a friend? So let me just share this with you, because I would be safe to say that you never took a class, you never got a degree on how to make wise friends. The Bible's very, very clear about what kind of friends we should choose. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this. We have to identify friends who are tough. Now, that's not one that you typically are going to hear, but you're going to hear it from your pastor. Because at the end of the day, we need friends as couples we need spiritually tough friends in our lives. If you're a parent, your kids need friends who are spiritually tough. In other words, they don't have the backbone of a spaghetti noodle. They're not going to sway with the crowd and go with the flow and chase after whatever's popular and the cool kids and all that stuff. No, 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 no. They need friends who are spiritually tough. They need friends who have some serious backbone, who are willing to take a stand for what is right, friends who will call them out, who will speak the truth in love, friends who will stick closer than a brother because they're calling them out and saying, no, 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 we're not going to that party. No, 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 we're not going with those people. The reason why, because we got a plan. We got a mission and we got a vision. This is who we are. This is how we roll. That's the direction we're going. Now, I had a friend like that. In fact, most sociologists uh, will tell you that if you have two to three people in your entire lifetime, like I'm talking about, you're very, very blessed. And honestly, in some ways, it's very true because these kind of people, these types of friends are difficult to find, but not impossible. And I believe there are many sitting in this room, and they're just like you. They're longing to associate with the right kind of people. 
So how do you identify a spiritually tough friend? Well, I have a friend, um, who, and I'll never forget this. When I was going into seventh grade, my family moved from Houston to Dallas and uh, didn't know a soul. And this, and this one, one guy was the only person, first person and only person that I really knew and I was introduced to when we hit town. And uh, his parents were good friends with my parents. And uh, so on the first day of school, in fact, he was a grade older than me, so he kind of already knew the ropes and knew the people. And so on the first day of school, I'll never forget, I was so nervous. I'm a home, my, literally my first period class, I'll never forget what I was wearing. Had, I had turquoise, um, uh, literally had uh, corduroy turquoise uh, blue jeans, Levi's on. Had a terry cloth uh, shirt because that was the hip thing back in the day. And, uh, and I'll never forget, I raised my hand. My teacher said, what do you need? I said, I need to go to the bathroom. And I need to be excused. And I got up, didn't even make it probably five, seven feet, and I just upchucked everywhere. Word was out. The new kid on the block, man. And so I was, I was a nervous wreck. I heard about PE and the horror stories that happened in the locker room. And I'll never forget, sure enough, those horror stories became a reality. Had some big dudes coming. They were approaching me. And all of a sudden, my friend, John, stepped in, and he said, hey, don't touch him. My friend happened to be a stud football player. He happened to be the president of the FCA, and everybody on school campus knew that he had to walk with God. Well, that friend became that friend who stuck closer than a brother. He became not only my college roommate, he became the best man in my wedding. And still to this day, he's one of my greatest and closest friends who's an advocate for my life and he's praying for me, he's supporting me, he texts me, he calls me. When we were going through what we were going through a couple of weeks ago with my mom, he was constantly there for me, reaching out, praying for me, supporting me. Why? Because he is a friend through thick and thin, spiritually tough. He's a guy who's challenged me, who's motivated me, who's done everything he could to hold me accountable to make sure the mission and the vision became a reality in my life. You need people like that. You know what the Bible talks about that? I love the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. You remember those guys? You know, they were, they were, they were exiled in, in Babylon, and they were forced to basically believe, accept, and believe, and, and literally um, live out the ways of the culture of the people in Babylon, except for Daniel. Why? Because the Bible says he purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile his God. And so as a result, you know the story, King Nebuchadnezzar built this golden statue of himself, and all of a sudden he ordered everybody to bow down and begin to worship it. And everybody, as they hit the deck, started worshiping this golden calf. Everybody was bowing except for these three dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the king heard about it, he was furious. He ordered them to come in. And I'll never forget, you know, as the Bible verily and clearly gives a, a description of their response they said, hey, king, if we were thrown into the, in the, into the blazing furnace in Daniel 3, if we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. These three young men, including Daniel, had a spiritual passion to serve God and they stood up for one another and as a result they were spiritually tough they didn't give in they didn't cave in listen they didn't follow the crowd they didn't cave into the pressure no they had a clear mission and vision they knew who they served and they weren't going to compromise 
Did you know that 86% of all kids who are in church when they graduate from high school never go back to church again? That breaks my heart. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, to be honest with you. A lot of it is because they're not getting the proper foundation in their homes. We're going to be talking about that next week in terms of teaching by example. But here's one of the main reasons why. Because if you take, if you take a fire that has a lot of, that, that's been lit by coals, and all of a sudden you happen to take one of those coals, those white hot coals, and you take it over here and you set it on a table for several hours, what begins to happen? That coal begins to cool off. And before you know it, not only does it cool off, it, it, it's dead. And what happens is that when kids go off to school because they don't have a strong spiritual and moral foundation and they're not associating with the right kind of life-giving friendships and because they haven't surrounded themselves with spiritually tough friends, all of a sudden now they drift. Now all of a sudden now they begin to embrace the world. Now all of a sudden when their faith is tested and challenged, they don't know what they believe nor why they believe it and they follow the crowd. That's why we need spiritually tough friends. And here's what a spiritually tough friend will do. They will make you bolder and they will make you better. They'll make you bolder and they will make you better. What does the scripture say? Say, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Listen, you need people that are going to make you bolder and people that are going to make you better in every area in your life, in your marriage, in your family relationships. Your kids need friends who will make them bolder and will make them better spiritually and morally in their lives. The second thing is this. Not only do we need friends who are tough, but we also need friends who are loyal. Friends who are loyal. I was talking to a dad the other day. He has a daughter who is uh, 15 years of age, and she's at that freshman. She's at that uh, critical, critical fork in the road in her life, trying to fit in, trying to be cool, you know, trying to, you know, be in the in crowd in the subgroup. And so she's on the dance team and she has been inseparable. Her and two other friends, the little three musketeers, they've been together for, for the, through, through all of the years, growing up as, as the best of friends. And now all of a sudden they've hit the freshman year and the dad was telling me, he said, man, he said, this has been an incredible year of drama. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm telling you, he said, it's been the most challenging, the most awkward season we've ever faced as parents. I said, why is that? He said, the reason why is because one of Gabby's friends turned on her and man, it became vicious. I said, wow. I said, you mean like a cat fight? He said, oh, worse than that. He said, you talk about all these drama mamas, man, they come out of the woodwork. All the mamas are, you know, fighting for their daughters and trying to be, you know, as cool as their daughters. And he said, man, it's been, he said, it, it's created, he said, man, it's created awkwardness, created this triangle between us and their parents and everybody's just feeling awkward and strange and, and it's sad and unfortunate but there's so often times in our lives rather than a friend stepping in when hard times come we got a lot of friends who will leave and betray us and walk out on us when we need them the most let me share something with you in 1 Samuel 18 there's an incredible story and you know the story about the friendship between David and Jonathan it says, by the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David, and an immediate, and an immediate bond was forged between them. 
And he became totally committed to David. And from that point, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. And Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. He formalized it with solemn gifts, with his own royal robe and weapons and armor and sword and bow and belt. You know what's interesting to me about that? Is that King Saul, his son Jonathan... Jonathan was the one, he was the heir apparent to the king. So when Saul was to be, you know, removed, when when Saul was going to move on or potentially die, then Jonathan was the one next in line to be the king. But God did not choose Jonathan as the king, the next soon-to-be king over Israel. Instead, who did he choose? He chose this young, obscure shepherd boy. Out of the nowhere, suddenly God raised David up, and David was the chosen one. David was the one whom God chose to eventually become king over all Israel. Well, you would have thought it would have only been natural for Jonathan to be ticked, to be jealous, to be strategizing, to try to take him out, to try to tear him down, to try to discredit him. And you would have thought it would have been a train wreck in the friendship and in the relationship and in the association between Jonathan and David, but not the case. Why? Because Jonathan was a loyal friend to David. A loyal friend. And you know what? I believe all of us in this room, we need loyal friends. We need people who will walk in when everybody else walks out. We need people who will stick with us through thick and thin. We need people who won't give us the kiss of betrayal like Judas did with Jesus. We need loyal friends. What if that would have been you? What if you would have been Jonathan? And God chose someone else over you. What if that coworker is the one who got the promotion and you know and everybody else knows you're the one who actually deserved it? What if your friend, who perhaps wasn't as talented or gifted as you, the one who made the cheerleading squad and you didn't? You know how you know whether or not you got a loyal friend? Tell them something positive, something good that has happened to you and see how they react. Because a true friend will either celebrate you or they'll tolerate you. So you got to realize, hey, life-giving friends are people who are spiritually tough and people who are loyal. How does that work? Someone who will be a confidant to you and someone who will celebrate you. Number three, and I'll close with this. Life-giving friends are friends who are committed. Friends who are committed. I love the story of, the, of Ruth and Naomi, and many of you know this story, but it was Ruth um, was, was one of the daughter-in-laws of Naomi, and Naomi a widow, and then soon the, her, her daughter-in-laws became widows because Naomi's sons died, and Naomi's husband died, and so Naomi told her two daughter-in-laws, hey, look, you need to go back to your homeland and be with your families, and maybe God will bring you other men that you can start over again with and have a family one day. And, and so during this, during this critical time of decision-making, one of the daughter-in-laws, Oprah, not Oprah on the TV show, but Oprah in the Bible, 
actually chose to go back home. The problem with her homeland, the people that lived there, they were idol worshipers. But you know what Ruth said? Ruth said these words. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's what you call a committed friend. Someone who says, you know what, you can follow that group if you want, but I'm going to go this way because that's the purpose and the plan that God has for my life. You know how you know whether or not you got a friend who's truly committed? They accept you unconditionally and they align with you. They're walking the same path that you're walking. They're chasing the same vision and mission that you have. So all of us here today need a little TLC in our friendships. Tough, loyal, and committed. You know the best place to find those people? Right here in the local church. In a life group. Get in a group. Make sure your kids are part of our group. Get your kids tonight to be a part of what we call tribes. Adults, parents, get in a group. Why? Because it's better together. Life's too short to allow the drift. Let's make the shift. And let's move in the direction that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together.